the sons of Israel. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who's on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. I apologize for the intro there. I had Facebook open, and Facebook never shuts off the, the feed. And I was doing several things and um, trying to make sure our guest was going to be on. And uh, so I apologize for that. Forgive me for that. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com is where you want to check us out, or SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and you'll be able to... Watch the video stream of the radio show. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio and one that's not. And uh, and then also, while you're there, you can click on that and you can join us in the chat if you'd like to do so. Also, if you want to call in, the number is 215-TOP-TALK, 215-867-8255. Please stick to the topic. Uh, it's going to be on immigration. And so please stick to the topic. Also, while you're there at Sons of Liberty, Media.com. Look right above where we're streaming. And this is Bradley's show. Bradley's show comes on at 3 p.m. Eastern. This is yesterday's show, so you can watch that if you haven't heard Bradley. And then that comes on live at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com at 3 p.m. Right above that is a place where you can subscribe to our channel. Just enter your email. We don't spam you. We don't sell your email. We don't rent it. Uh, You get one email a day. That comes with all the articles that we do for the day, including myself, Bradley, and our contributors. And also, uh, you get the morning archive. You know, we I archive the show. I archive it in video and um, and, and a podcast. And then I add anything that we talk about, any of the links that we talk about, any of the videos, tweets, whatever, documents, stuff like that. I put that in there for you to go do your own homework on and make come to your own conclusions on also, while you're at SonsLibertyMedia.com, if you agree with the message that we're putting out, we put it out on radio, internet, and we're out among the people in all the states. We teach them our Christian and constitutional heritage. Um, if you agree with that message, there's a donate button right at the top of SonsLibertyMedia.com. You can make a one-time donation, or you can become a partner with us as a son or daughter of liberty. That link is also at the top of the page. And then if you also want to help us out and you want to purchase products in the store, t-shirts, hats, Water bottles, coffee mugs, all kinds of stuff in the store. Not only are they great conversation starters or gifts, 
but you also help the Sons of Liberty in that matter as well. And as a final formality, you can catch the live video feed on Twitter at FPP Tim, Periscope and Twitch at Setting Brush Fires, Facebook at Bradley Dean SOL. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, look up Bradley Dean, and uh, we're not streaming there because, well, they're bad guys. <laughs> Two channels down. And on we're, we're on the second strike already on the third one. So we're just we're trying to move away from them as much as we can. We're on Rumble. Uh, Beforeitsnews.com on the front page there. Also DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty and Cutting Edge TV on Roku were there as well. Now, this morning, I didn't get a chance to talk uh, with Renata, but uh, she did get it here uh, on time. I, I sent Frank uh, a mutual friend. Uh, a message. I said, "Is she going to be on? Uh, did, do we get the right link?" And um, so she's she's in the wings, as it were. And let me give her a proper introduction before I bring her on. Renata Castro is the founding member of Castro Legal Group, a full service immigration firm. Renata represents a wide range of clients, from accomplished athletes and extraordinary individuals to investors, victims of domestic violence, as well as those seeking a new life in the United States. She has done numerous on-camera interviews on the subject of immigration policy and representation, and uh, it's my honor to welcome Renata Castro to the Sons of Liberty. Welcome, Renata. Well, thank you for having me this morning, and I appreciate you recognizing for a woman being on time early in the morning. So I was ve- I was very excited to be here, I must say. Well, we're glad to have you, and I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. i, I got to tell you, immigration is really not my thing. My thing, um, I have a basic general uh, thought process on that, and some of it's even conflicted with what I hear that comes out of uh, Washington and even the news media. However, what we're de- what you're dealing with in large measure is something that I, I hope that we can we can grow to understand. Let me let me set up something here. You know, the Bible, because our foundations are the Bible and the Constitution. That's what we reference here. We, we're not referencing Republicans or Democrats or conservative or liberal here. We're referencing the Bible and the Constitution. The Bible does say in Exodus twelve forty nine, it tells it to a people who were delivered out of slavery. It says, one law shall be to him that is home-born and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. In other words, God's law applied equally to both the citizen uh, and also the stranger or the foreigner who came in. That's reiterated in Leviticus 24, 22. Ye shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger as for one of your own country, for I the Lord, for I am the Lord your God. So we point back to that. We also see within the Constitution that Congress is charged with the authority of naturalization. And, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting to me, when you go back in history, probably... For a hundred years after the Constitution was there, it was basically the states who were enforcing immigration uh, because the states were considered their own sovereign country in a confederacy of, uh, of, of states, as it were. We, we weren't considered uh, a nation like we think of it today. We were considered individual states, and me being a good old Southern boy, uh, I, consider, I still consider myself a citizen of South Carolina, even though I know legally that applies to a citizen of America. But you help a lot of people in the area of what, I guess, Obama, which I have, I have lots of bad things to say about Obama. But, but one of the things that he did was he was bringing to the forefront kids that are brought here 
to the United States by parents. They're brought here illegally. The parents are coming illegally for whatever reason, some good, some bad, but they're still coming illegally. And the kids are here through no fault of their own. Can you help people understand how you got into where you're, uh, what you got into and why you're so passionate about what you are? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. And as you were speaking, because, of course, my limited lawyer brain cannot memorize law and Bible verses with the same speed. Although I grew up, you know, in, in a Catholic school as being a, a good old Brazilian girl, that's what you do. You, you know, my generation was raised going to Catholic school and praying morning and afternoon. So I may know a thing or two about the Bible. I think that when you talk about immigration, it is a very incendiary um, topic because a lot of people just don't have the legal knowledge of the laws of today to make informed decisions. So you, you mentioned a great Bible verse when you, you, know, you made your argument that immigrants should be subjected to uh, the law of the land, which is unquestionable. However, I want to uh, direct you to another Bible verse, which is Exodus 21, 22, 21, which says, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in, um, in the Amen. land of Egypt. Yep, that's a part of that, yep. So one of the reasons why I bring it up is because I think that there's this whole discussion that, you know, um, you know, the Democrats or, you know, the communists are advocating for open borders, and that couldn't be farther for, from the truth. Open borders don't help anybody. The United States is the number one destination in the world, the number one market for victims of human trafficking. Open borders would just uh, increase that exponentially. What we as advocates are asking is that the law of the land, which is archaic, outdated, does not serve the United States of today, be followed. So in order for an individual to seek asylum protection in the United States, he or she, irrespective of age, must present himself at a U.S. border. And that's why you have a major clog in the southern border of the United States, which also happens in the northern border, but it just doesn't get talked about That's right. for these individuals who are looking for protection. So I think that we need to talk about the mechanics of this law, which is just doesn't work. Individuals who are seeking American legal protection in the form of asylum should have a mechanism like refugees who are able to already come to the United States with the protection that they're seeking instead of placing these individuals, uh, exposing a system that's already broken. Um, Biden is already dealing with a major backlog in immigration courts, leaving these individuals for eight, 10 years in the United States to only then tell them, well, guess what? You cannot be here. So you bought a home, you built a business, you have a profession, you learned English, you pay taxes, but you got to go. Of course, they don't want to leave. So uh, is this, does this mean that I am con condoning certain behaviors, you know, the caravan, you know, I think that there's a lot of speculation on both sides, and it just doesn't help the immigrant cause. I became a passionate advocate of immigration because I have witnessed firsthand what it does for a country. If you look at, you know, Fortune 100 companies, about 60% of them are led by first or second generation immigrants. Yep. The United States today has a major brain drain. I, I don't know if you have kids. I have a 16-year-old. I got 10. I got 10. <laughs> so, well, good luck when they, when they get to their teens. <laughs> They're uh, in their 20s. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old seven going on a thousand. 
and they don't wake up anymore saying, I want to be an engineer or a doctor, <laughs> yeah. uh, or, you know, or a tradesman. They want to be gamers, YouTubers. You know what? A YouTuber is not going to fix uh, uh, your toilet or build your house. That's correct. An economy is built from diversification of a labor force. And as a country, we are falling behind because our youth is not interested in the trades that bring an economy forward. Am I demeriting um, individuals who are digital influencers? No, not at all. I think they have a value. But as a country, we cannot be only a country of gamers and influencers. So as a result, immigrants come in to fill in a gap that is much needed and that makes a major impact in the economy. So to summarize, uh, do I think that the issue is only with the conduct of immigrants? No. I talk a lot about the fact that there's very little execution on the laws which penalize or should penalize American employers who are hiring immigrants under the table, not paying the, pro paying the proper dues, undercutting the American wage, which the American middle class, I mean, you're in South Carolina, I'm sure you can see it every day in the factories and in the trades jobs, how yes. wages are not keeping up with inflation. And individuals should be outraged, not only at the people who are coming in the caravans, they should be outraged at the American employers who are hiring individuals at a lower wage and cutting on the purchasing power of people like you and I. So I am in favor of immigration. I am in favor of some kind of immigration reform. But I also think we need to demystify who is the real villain in immigration. And it's not the immigrant alone. Well, I am for immigration. Let there be no doubt. I'm for immigration. And we have established certain immigration laws, the problem is they haven't been enforced, and then uh, somebody gets the, the wild hair to say, oh, let's just go round up a bunch of people, um, and I, I have a real problem with that. Now, something that I came across, and I'm going to bring it up in a little bit, I don't want to bring it up now, but you're, you're probably familiar with it. Uh, I believe the term's latches, um, and you're probably familiar with that as far as um, if, the, if the, those who are charged with enforcing the law don't enforce it within a certain amount of time, well, then it becomes basically null and void. It's like a statute of limitations on its own. And then we have that with a statute of limitations uh, concerning illegal immigration. As far as I know, maybe you can correct me on that. But I think you're right. I think what you're saying is you're for a legal form of Im immigration where people come through a port, uh, they're checked out, they're sent through a process of naturalization, which takes several years, just like the Bible. I mean, in the Bible, there were several years process where the people learned the culture, they learned the um, uh, how the people lived, they participated in the feast that they were a part of, they were under the same law as the people who were citizens, they just didn't have certain rights, let me say, privileges, they, they still had the same rights because they were men, but they, they didn't have certain privileges that others who were citizens had, such as within our, within our culture would be voting and, and such like that. Do I have that right? That, that's what, you are all pro-immigration you're just against those who violate the law in trying to get in here. Is that, am I right about that? I think that, so I just want to clarify this. Okay. When individuals present themselves at a border, they are actually following U.S. Yes. law. Right. Because they are coming here and seeking asylum. So that's why when people say, oh, you know, the migrant caravan, yeah, that is going to give people exposure. It's very easy to discuss that. But no one wants to talk about the underlying law that incentivizes that. The, the real issue that I have as a professional is 
if you're going to have a law, you either follow it or you change it. So don't talk about the individuals who are seeking to exercise that law or that right, uh, because, you know, it's recognized in international treatises. Change the law so that it is something that is more feasible and that follows the United States of 2021. It's, we're, we're in a different world. We're not trading in, you know, in stones and, and sticks. We have cryptocurrency. It's obvious that we have the capacity. We just don't have the willingness to present immigration reform that will not be as divisive, will not have such hatred behind it, and that will also serve the economy of the United States. Okay, yeah, that's a whole nother show, I got to tell you, because uh, the fiat currency that we have from the Federal Reserve and even the cryptocurrency, which is just as fiat, is not gold and silver, which is constitutional. And we've done several shows on that. And I think that's where we get into a lot of the issue of some of the allurement, not only with some illegals, not all of them, but some illegals and also with some citizens. I mean, I'm against the welfare state for American citizens because I think that's just as much a drain as those who come in illegally who who will also participate in that system. Uh, I, I think that's that's a whole other discussion that we could have. But when you talk about the caravans, you know, some of the reporting that we did, some of the guys discovered that these people were, some of the caravan were receiving funding from people that we know uh, have a profit to make from the demise of certain cultures. They've done it in Europe. They've done it in other places, namely George Soros. We saw some of that. Um, and I'm not ignorant of this. I worked on a construction site for 18 years. I had a lot of, uh, and, and by the way, I want to make sh- clear to people, we're not just talking about people who come from Central America or uh, South America. We're talking about people, you mentioned, Renata, uh, the northern border. We've got people who are, who are here in the United States illegally from virtually all over the place. Whites, blacks, Hispanics, you know, all over the Arabs, all kinds of people who are here illegally. And one of the things I found out working on the job site was there was probably nobody who had a harder work ethic than a lot of the Hispanic uh, men and women that I worked with. And I don't know who was legal, who wasn't. I never asked that. Uh, And one of the things was, was that in many cases where I did get to know some of them who could, who speak English because I can't speak Spanish, um, was that they came here many times the men would come here they would work, and they were there to try to either bring their families back or to try to help their families. So they had a tremendous sacrifice in what they were doing. At the same time, um, you know, I know there's a lot of argumentation over, well, they're taking this or they're taking that, um, and, and yet leaving off the situation to where even our own citizens are, are basically doing the same thing. They're not, they're not the same status, but they're doing the same thing. So when we look at these kinds of, of, of issues, what's the most pressing for you when you're, when you're dealing with this? Because I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that I knew that understood the U.S. Constitution. I talked with them. They understood the U.S. Constitution. Um, they were here. I think basically the ones that I knew of were here on a green card. They wanted to become citizens. And it was just this long, drawn-out thing to where, you know, they were caught sort of between a rock and a hard place. And those are the people that are, I think, the most difficult to deal with in this because 
they get trapped between the extremes of, you know, the guys that just don't want any immigrants coming in and then those who uh, want proper immigration, but then they're, they're fine to go behind and, uh, and just not do anything about it. What do you say? Well, you know, I, I'm so glad that you had a personal experience, uh, that you have personal experience in construction. So there's no economy, economic growth without construction growth. Construction is at the base, is at the forefront of any economic development in any country in the world. The United States has a major staffing issue in construction companies. It is hypocritical for us to sit here and sip our teas and pretend that about 80% of the American workforce in construction job sites is immigrant workforce. And of those 80%, I would dare say about 85% are undocumented. It's a major number. Why not change the system and allow these individuals to come to the United States with the limited purpose of working in construction sites for a period of time so that we as a country don't have to be dealing with declining wages as opposed to rising wages. It's important to talk about the system that feeds unlawful immigration in the United States. Immigrants who are in the country unlawfully would not be here if they couldn't work, if they could not work. So you may make the argument, well, Renata, it is against the law to hire an undocumented alien. Yes, that's without question. Is that law being enforced? That's a hell no. We all know someone who is in construction who hires systematically individuals who, are, who don't have lawful status to work on their job sites. So you talk to that person, and a lot of times it doesn't even have anything to do with cost because a lot of people think, oh, undocumented aliens are working for $7 an hour and a chicken and you know, a cob of corn, and that's, you know, that, that, that's what their, their wage is. And that's, that couldn't be farther from the truth. I, have, I happen to represent individuals who are tradesmen, plumbers, electricians, um, builders. Some of them are even general contractors because they, for some reason or another, were able to obtain some kind of limited uh, in scope authorization to work. And they are wealthy. They pay taxes. They work. They buy homes. They contribute to society. They, uh, contrary to popular belief, they do not have access to welfare, nor do they want it. They want to earn an honest living. Now, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. You can also make that argument. I think that at the end of the day, we need to talk about the conduct of immigrants and how that could be a security concern for the United States whenever an individual enters the United States without inspection through any of the borders, be it the northern or the southern, be it through a, a, you know, a, a sea entry, you don't know what that person is bringing with them, irrespective of whether they're immigrants or not. There's a concern of human trafficking. It's a major issue in the southern border. Also in the northern border, it just doesn't get talked about. But we need to address the central issue, is why the United States is not doing more in American job sites to protect the jobs of Americans. That is a conversation that no one has yep. because that's just not interesting. Um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned you're in South Carolina. I believe it was last year. I mean, with COVID, we've lost sense of time, right? I was in Greer, South Carolina for an interview. You're just down. Below, that was just down below me, actually. Yeah. So 
Um, my full name is Renata Castro Alves. So it's pretty obvious that I have some kind of, you know, Hispanic heritage, only I'm Brazilian, not Cuban, as most people think I am. And the Uber driver, when I got into the Uber, he looked at me, you know, he said, good night. I said, good night. And um, I, you know, made the pleasantries. And he said, you know, I know when people are not from here. So I want to know from you if you're a U.S. citizen or you have a green card because you have a look of someone who's not from here. <laughs> and I felt so outraged that, you know, he would ask me that. He had no idea who I was. But this is the America that we have come to, to, to live in. One where, you know, being an immigrant in and of itself becomes a scarlet letter. We need to walk away from that. We need to have deeper conversations that don't make my accent or my last name, you know, threatening or divisive to the Uber driver, because that's not the real issue. The real issue is the United States still living with immigration laws that are, I don't know, 50 years old. They don't serve us. Asylum laws of 50 years ago when there was no Internet, no TikTok, no virality in videos. Uh, it doesn't serve us today. Today, you can organize a migrant caravan. Today, you can organize uh, or obtain a tourist visa with much greater ease than you could 50 years ago. How could we be using such archaic laws? That's a major point of conversation that we need to have. And, and I'm glad that I'm here today because it gives me the opportunity to speak to everyday folks, like the people who, the hardworking people who, you know, watch your show, listen to your show, support you, uh, support Christian values to have a legal understanding of what's really wrong. And I think that that's incredibly important for us as a country to move forward. Well, I do, too. And a lot of this becomes very politicized. Uh, and again, this is why, um, you know, we talk about using the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, not to support a political party, but to support the law. Now, again, you know, I referenced the fact that the uh, Congress has given a particular authorization in Article 1 for naturalization, making, you know, laws of naturalization. And I spoke with my friend Captain Carl. He's been on here for a while and uh, or several shows. And one of the things he said was, he said, Tim, he says, if you got these these kids who are here, and I've seen some of your interviews. It's interesting because the ones that Frank sent me, and the reason I met Frank was because of the interview you did with uh, Jane Monreal. And I worked with Frank and, and, and Jane in giving them documentation, information that they put out that really long, I don't know if you saw it, but it was a really long um, report on Lee County Sheriff Carmine Marcino. So we have, we have some history there. But with the naturalization, one of the things that Carl said, he said, hey, if you can get these guys, they really want to be here in America. They're, they're not out to try to harm anybody. They're not on the, on the system or any of this other. And you can get them through a naturalization process. They're willing to go through that. They're willing to, to become real Americans legally and all of this. He said those people turn out to be some of the best people that you can have here in the country. And I'm not just talking about economically, because I think if you start with economics, you're really starting from sort of a Marxist presentation. I start from the biblical account, and that is you start with justice first. And that's why I quoted the laws that God gave his people who were brought out of Egypt. And he says, you don't do this. And I'm glad you added to that, that you don't oppress them either. Um, so I think those things are the things that we want to look at. The problem is they get all mixed in, Renata. They they. They get the, the 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 two get mixed in, 
And so you get the the kids who are brought here illegally. Some of them are now in their 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever the case may be, through no fault of their own. And the Bible also says you don't hold the the son accountable for the father's sins or the father accountable for the son's sins. You don't do that. Each is accountable to his own. So they get mixed in. How do you go about trying to separate that out? So one of the things that happens when a minor child is brought to the United States or is allowed to enter the United States, there is a certain protection called um, SIJS, Special Immigrant Juvenile Status. So the, the state law will issue a custody order, a temporary custody order to a custodian or to a ward of, or that child will become a ward of the state. And with that custody order, that minor, as long as the petition is filed within a certain period of time, um, in some states under 18, in other states under 21, that child can then get a green card and be put on a pathway to citizenship. Interestingly, once you do that, that child's parents are not eligible to obtain any kind of immigration status as a result of their child's status. So you sever the, the chain, you sever the connection. The United States is one of the few, if not the only country in the world that allows individuals, U.S. citizens, to transfer immigration benefits to their ascendants and not only to their descendants. So as an American citizen, I can petition for my mom and my dad, as well as petitioning for my children. Most, if not, you know, every single country that I've had the opportunity to look into um, their immigration laws don't allow for that. You can pass to your offspring, not the other way around. So as a country, yes, we want to look at the individual. We want to look at justice. We want to look at principles of fairness because that's who we are as a country, essentially. But we also need to think about what are the purposes of the United States and how can we tailor those laws? When we talk about naturalization, there's much conversation about all oh, these individuals want to be put on a pathway to citizenship. Yes, becoming a U.S. citizen is an honor, is a privilege. I cried for hours when I became a U.S. citizen. And, you know, just so your viewers know, I became a lawful permanent resident through marriage. I was, you know, married to a naturalized um, American citizen, my first husband. And, you know, we had a child and that's how I ended up becoming a U.S. citizen. However, the ultimate goal for a lot of immigrants is not only to become a U.S. citizen, but it's to become a lawful member of the American society. What does that mean? They have an employment authorization. They are here fulfilling their tax obligations. They're following the law. And in order to do that, you don't need to be a U.S. citizen or you don't need to be placed on a path to citizenship because then there's also a concern of, you know, you're, and that's not my personal concern. Those are concerns of some individuals who oppose immigration. When they say, well, but then all these immigrants will become voters. Well, America's made of, you know, mostly immigrants, first, second, third, fourth generation who became voters. Uh, that's who we are as a country. And, and, and I think that when you talk about the easing of access to citizenship, we're still very far from that. I am personally, and as an advocate, I have very little concern over access to naturalization. There are major issues to the mechanics of naturalization. So, for example, if you are over a certain age and you don't speak English because of a medical condition, you actually have to spend more money than if you were um, able-bodied and younger. That doesn't make any sense. So you make a sick person pay more because of their disability. 
that that is completely unfair. However, that's how the system is today. The major challenge I see is how do we incorporate the younger, the, the, the healthy, the ones who are willing to work, not eliminating those who may be, you know, older, but how do we incorporate those essential pieces to the United States society, economy, culture, to our country? How do we do that without threatening the wealth of the American people? And when I say wealth, it's not just financial wealth, it's cultural wealth, social wealth, all of those things that make America a great country, you know, one nation under God, indivisible. We are the greatest democratic experiment in, that the world has known because, and the only reason we are is not uh, that is not because, you know, we have access to good internet. Actually, Singapore is, you know, leaving us in the dust when it comes to, you know, fair access to great internet. The United States is actually lagging behind. The United States is an envied country because we have a strong middle class. The United States stands strong because the majority of its people have access to basic needs and services, is able to purchase that by use of their discretionary income. I mean, we could have five shows over how that has been changing in the past 10 and 15 years and how immigration could actually help reverse that um, by bringing more wealth into the United States. But in, in essence, how can we be a fair, just, egalitarian country that follows up-to-date laws? How can we do that? Be it naturalization, be it legalization. We need to have a broader conversation over how we need to use immigration as our secret you know, uh, source of strength and power to take us to where we want to go as a country. Well, there's, there's, there is one thing I want to correct you on. We're, we're not an experiment in democracy. Our, our founders were, were completely against that. In fact, they have it in the Constitution. It is outlawed. We have Every state is guaranteed to be a Republican form of government, not Republican Party, but a Republican form of government. That's not really democracy. And so I, I want to be clear that, w- that we, we stick to what the law actually says, and the supreme law of the land, according to the Constitution, which is what it is, says that we're not that. And I know a lot of people use that term, but that's not what we are. We're, we're supposed to be um, you know, a country where the law applies to, as we read in the Scripture here, to the foreigner and to the citizen the same. We're, they're supposed to be, this is part of the problem that I have with um, what we have with going on with the vaccine companies and them getting immunity or the, uh, I forget the other one that I was talking with David Knight about yesterday, and they get them. Oh, the tech companies, the telecommunications, they're getting immunity for, you know, sticking up their 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 antennas everywhere. And people don't have a, a say in that. Uh, and then people are damaged and they get immunity. We're not we're, we're talking about where the law is supposed to apply to everybody. And I think maybe you mean the same thing. Maybe it's just in the in the vocabulary. But I, I wanted to clarify that. What what would happen with an issue to where children and and. And I understand what you're saying about uh, a nation of immigrants. I'm not an immigrant. Maybe, obviously, somebody back in my history, uh, as much as I've traced it, has come from Scotland. But I'm a citizen. I've just been a native-born citizen. And uh, there's a ton of people who have. Uh, So not everybody is an immigrant here in the United States. We maybe have come from them, but, but we're not them ourselves. And so what would you suggest go on? Because we have things like 
and, and you've made clear, and I want people to understand who may not have heard this, you've made clear you're against the the idea of people coming in here, bypassing immigration law, coming into the country. I, I'm pretty sure I heard that correctly. And that I guess that goes to something like 8 U.S. Code 1325, improper entry of an alien, and I'll have this link up here so people can see that. So you're against that kind of thing, but at the same time you speak about those who are brought here as children. They're they're brought here under no fault of their own through parents who were disregarding the law for whatever reason. Uh, it may have been they want a better life. It may have been to do something bad uh, or whatever the case may be, but the children didn't have anything to do with it. What is a solution for that? What is a solution that you see for dealing with Because I... Again, I don't think we ought to be placing on the children, um, you know, being oppressive to them when they had they didn't make the choice to do whatever their parents led them to do. Yeah, well, I want to just highlight something that, you know, immigration law is an administrative area of the law. It's a civil area of the law. And it's the only one today that can result in that violations can result in incarceration. So when an individual is detained for immigration purposes, it's rare that they are tried in a federal court, because if you're tried in a federal court, you have a right to a public defender because you're being accused of a crime. Now, in immigration court, you are being accused of a civil violation, even though you may be detained, even if you're a good person, if you haven't committed any other crime other than the immigration violation. Because in immigration court, there is no right to a public defender. So I noticed that you brought up that, you know, the, the 8 USC, the, 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 the area of the law that highlights a lawful presence or improper entry. But there are two worlds when it comes to immigration. The immigration rhetoric has really benefited private jail um, um, operators, such as the Geo Group and Civitas, I think is the name of the other one. They make a lot of money by incarcerating and keeping immigrants in jail for immigration violations because immigrants are mostly healthy, younger, uh, because they come here to work. They don't, they don't come here to seek treatment. The United States has no means of offering treatments to them. Um, so when it comes to the business of jailing immigrants, you're usually going to see them in an administrative immigration-focused uh, um, track as opposed to federal courts. It can happen, but it's very, very rare. If you look at, if, if you're ever bored and you need something to make you, to help you go to sleep, you can look at PACER and look at all the dockets for immigration violations, and they're very small compared to all the other federal crimes that are prosecuted. Okay. When we talk about kids, listen, I'm a mom. I have cases. I actually represent a child now. Um, he pro bono. He crossed the border by himself. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a horrific case. Um, and I will never forget the day that 12 year old scrawny 12 year old had to sit in front of a judge and the judge asked, who is this woman? And the woman was me. And he said, you know, that's my lawyer. And she said, is she authorized to represent you? And he said, yes, I love her because he's 12. That's the language that he uses. And I had to look to the side and cry because I thought of my own 12-year-old at the time who was home playing video games. And this young boy, um, you know, whose mom did not want to accept my 
pro bono representation. She said, you know, it's not fair that you went to school and that you're working here for free. And I said, you know, do me a favor, just take your child, do something fun with your child with the money you, you would have paid me. I mean, I don't know. Take, has he ever been to McDonald's? And she said, no, he's never been to McDonald's. And you, you as a parent, you, you, you have to be touched by that. I can't imagine. I don't care what side of the immigration rhetoric you're on. That's still a human being. He's now in school. I'm so proud of him. Speaks English perfectly. He's a straight A student. It's a, t it's a difficult case. We don't know if we're going to win it. But I wanted to give that child, through my legal expertise, I wanted to give that child the opportunity to flourish. It's very hard when you see the faces and you know the names and you're every day in the trenches to talk about the hardships that these kids go through. It doesn't make any more right or wrong. But I, as a lawyer, have to follow the law of the land. But as a human, I have to abide by what I consider to be my code of you know, moral conduct. I had a brilliant professor in law school and he used to say, that legality is not always morality. So when in doubt, always choose morality. And I think that if we as a nation look to have laws which were more moral, and I don't mean more Puritan, but more moral to what, what our values are as individuals, we wouldn't be in this conundrum. We would find a way to address the issue of these kids that are sent here. Imagine there are seven, eight-year-olds being sent across the border by themselves my seven-year-old still needs help going to the bathroom. I, I think about those things all the time. Imagine the desperation, the fear that these kids, the, the danger that they're exposed to. Can we as a country become a depository of kids? Of course not. But can we do something to address this issue so that it doesn't keep repeating itself? Absolutely. The United States has the means, has the legislative power to change these laws in an effective way and to really stop this. You know, I, I, I started calling immigration a legacy campaign issue. So every four years, someone will come and present a novel theory of immigration and will demonize immigrants or will uh, propose something that is outrageous and just, you know, I will solve all immigration problems. There will never be a complete solution to immigration problem, problems as long as individuals and humans exist. It's a, it's a fact that immigration is about the movement of people. You can reduce the issue, but how are you setting the United States for long-term success? It's not only by looking at what we have today. Today is about enforcement, immigration enforcement, both ways. You need to address the issue with immigrants, but you also need to address the issue when it comes to employers who are taking advantage of these individuals. But what are we doing to set us up for the future so that we don't have in 20 years when I'm in retirement, hopefully in Europe, that's my goal. I want to re partially retire in Europe and drink a lot of scotch. You mentioned your heritage is from Scotland. <laughs> that's my, my drink of choice. So I don't want to bring you out of retirement and come out of my retirement to be here talking about the same old, same old kids crossing the border, caravans coming through the border, because it doesn't serve us as a country. It does not solve the issue. And it really puts a strain on, on the country and its resources. Renato, one of the questions I have is you talk about these kids coming by themselves. We had a report down in San, San Antonio uh, Fox News down there had done a study or an investigation. And what they were finding out was they were finding out people were coming to the border. They were coming in, they were being apprehended at the border 
and they were bringing children saying, oh, this is my child, and they were finding out they really weren't their child. This is where some of the things were where they were separating them. And in fact, it leads people to believe that these ch- that many of these children, not all of them, I, I get that some families come to- all together. I find it, it find I find it very uh, disturbing that parents are going to send their their ten or twelve year old uh, by themselves up through Central America to go into America. I find that very disturbing. It, that's the first problem that I, that I see. Uh, and then the second one is these issues to where it seems like there's actual child trafficking that's going on, uh, and it's presented as though it's a family, and then it's made into a political issue. Oh, see, they're breaking up the families. This, that. And in some cases where the family comes together, I, I don't know why they're not being tra- – I think this is as critical as I was of President Trump, and I was critical a lot uh, uh, because he was violating the Constitution a lot. But what I what I saw was they were pushing it back to where Mexico had to deal with them or another country that they were traveling to had to deal with them. And that was part of the, of the thing of holding some of that back, of pushing some of that back. So without getting into a lot of stuff, what is it that you're attempting to do for said dreamers, those who are, what are, what is it, um, they were under 16 years old, old when they were brought to the country prior to like 2007 or something like that. What are you looking yeah. to do specifically for them? What do you? What is it that you're really wanting to see happen for those people? So for dreamers, one of the things that we I actually you know realized in representing several dreamers is that a lot of them have become so ingrained, so um, you know, it has become such second nature to them to be in the United States that a lot of them don't realize the limitation of their current status. And it's actually sad because I would say that out of every 10 dreamers that I speak to, maybe two or three have some kind of alternative pathway to legalization. Either they're adults and they have a parent who is now a green card holder and they don't know that they can actually derive a benefit from their parents, even though they're older than 21, or they got DACA status before they were 18, and now they can do an employment-based petition and are unaware of that. So dreamers, in my opinion, will have, are just tired of being political pawn back and forth since the Obama days. Uh, oh, you know, give them status. No, take it away. No, give them status, take it away. I believe there will be some kind of pathway to a permanent status that could lead to citizenship. I'm not so concerned about the citizenship. I'm more concerned about permanent status, which is a green card that will have an element of taxation. But, you know, paying taxes, the U.S. uh, tax code is actually pretty clear. You have to pay taxes irrespective of your lawful status and irrespective of the legality of the activity you engaged in. So if you're undocumented and you're working, you have to pay taxes. So Taxation is, is a given, but I believe that there will be some kind of element relating to taxation. I have seen some uh, formats of this bill, which also involved military service. There was a program that Trump sadly ended called MAVI that allowed individuals who were in the United States with lawful status, in the past with unlawful status, but with lawful status, who served the U.S. armed forces for at least two years to gain an immigration benefit. And I think that, you know, if someone is willing to bear arms and fight for our Constitution, that's the kind of person that we want here, um, I I would think. 
That's someone who's willing to put it all on the line to protect our values as a nation. And I think that there's, that speaks volume. So when it comes to DACA, taxation, some element related to military service will probably speed uh, you know, the process for some individuals. And I wouldn't be surprised if the final bill said that DREAMers will d- receive a benefit but will never be able to pass an immigration benefit to their parents. Because that's, you know, that's really the source. You, you said it very well. The child does not have the ability to choose. So why penalize the child? But the adult did have the opportunity to choose. And he made a choice. You know, you are free to make any choice you want. You're not free from the consequences of that choice. And I wouldn't be surprised if the final format of the bill severed the ability of dreamers, once U.S. citizens, to pass an immigration benefit to their parents. Okay. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the obvious question that comes from that. When kids become, okay, let's say they're brought here when they're babies or when they're three or five or whatever the case may be. They're not making the decision. Mom and dad's making that decision. They come over here. Technically, they're here illegally, okay? And that means against the law. Uh, I know they've tried to change this to undocumented workers, but uh, technically it's against the law. Once these people become of age, uh, which I think is assumed as a, around 18, um, why, are these pe- why are they not coming forward and saying, look, I'm here illegally, I want to be an American citizen? And, you know, I think this is a slap, I think some of it, a lot of this of what we got is a slap in the face to those who've been through the process, um, whether they came from Canada or they came from Mexico or they came from Europe or wherever they came from. They went through a large process. Some of them were only able to come in by themselves, and it was sometime later that they were able to bring in a wife or children or something like that. And it's almost a slap in the face to them. What do these guys do when they get 18? Why are they not coming forward and then saying, hey, look, I was brought in here. I'm here illegally. It wasn't my choice to be here, but I do want to be an American citizen why aren't they coming forward and doing it? You know, I see some people run on, and I know everybody's not the same, but I see some people. There was a guy uh, from CNN who did this. I think he was like in his 30s or 40s now. And he, it was almost as though he was brash about it. You owe me this. And and I just go, wait a minute, dude. The law is in place here to deal with certain things. And if we don't, if we don't, if you're going to just... Um, if you're a person who comes in and you say, I'm going to be owed this once you get of age, maybe you came in, again, through no fault of your own, you come in through no fault of your own, and then you get of age, and then you don't even want to acknowledge, you just say, I want everybody to whitewash everything that went on. I mean, I can hear people saying, I'm not very comfortable with that because that doesn't adhere to what we have as the law. Um. Having children, so I've mentioned to you that I have a 16, almost 17-year-old. You know, I actually, when my son became a teenager, I called my mother and I said, you know, I'm sorry for having to raise a teenager. She laughed. She accepted the apologies. I think it's a generational issue more than an immigrant issue. I'm pretty sure being a Hispanic mother myself, you know, when our kids say, um, you know, you owe us this, there will be some chancletas, some flip-flops flying around the house. That's, you know, our tool of discipline. I think it's a generational issue more than a status issue. Uh, kids, and when I say kids, you know, 
I use the term broadly, believe there's a sense of entitlement. I was reading somewhere that now 23-year-olds feel like failures because they're not successful. I'm like, at 23, what, what do you think? You know, of course, there are very accomplished 23-year-olds, but you have to follow a certain path. There, you know, things happen within a certain time, but the culture of internet has changed that. Everything has to be fast and immediate. And th- that's, not wh- that's not where real life is. That's an avatar. That's not real life. When it comes to immigration, kids will live. So I have clients who did not know they did not have status until they were 16, 17 years old when they wanted to get their driving permit. That's usually when they find out that they don't have status or when they receive scholarship offers for colleges and they are unable to accept because they don't have a social security because until then it's oblivious to them. When you mention, you know, why at 18 don't they come forward and say, I'm here without status, you know, through no fault of my own. If they do that, they will be removed. They will be deported. There is no forward place to come. The only forward place to come is you either leave, you're a victim of a crime, and then you qualify for a U visa. You hope that your parents are divorced and meet a U.S. citizen and you're under 18 and you gain status through your parents, uh, one of your parents, or you qualify under some very obscure law, like, you know, victim of human trafficking or uh, a victim of domestic violence. There's no forward place to come. I wish there was. Um, I wish there was something that wouldn't penalize these kids who are brought here with, without any say of their own and who have lived in the United States for 10, 12, 15 years, have been educated in an American uh, school, speak English fluently work or want to work, they are valuable members of our society. The problem is they have no place to go. If they put themselves forward, they'll have to leave and they're just not prepared for that. Yeah. Renata. Well, I think that's, I think that's where I want to get to is they take responsibility because at that point they know what they're doing. And I think that's a different issue than the children. That's kind of where I wanted to go with that. We got about 30 seconds here, Renata, and I know you've got to get something to something else that you've got to do. You want to tell people where they can find out more about you? 30 seconds. Yes. CastroLegalGroup.com. That's the website for my firm. I represent individuals nationwide. Any immigration matters. It is an honor to be here and to help bring more information about immigration law. And I hope to be back here. All right. Renata Castro, thank you for taking time for us early in the morning, by the way. And uh, maybe maybe we'll have you back on. But I think it's good to hear from from someone who's dealing with it uh, and what they're doing. But, you know, I really hope the law would be held to, especially with those who, as they get older, they would address this thing and do it the right way, do it the legal way, the way the law provides, not, you know, the way however we may feel about it. But it would be that way. We appreciate you joining us. Guys, uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow morning, sun, Saturday morning, 8 a.m. Kate Shimrani, Dr. Kevin Corbett. Talk to you then. See you.